0: morning. Welcome to Bethel Mennonite Church. If you're willing and able, would you please stand while uh, Jordan leads us in a song here.
1: And everything that we have, everything that we possess, every gift that you've given us, it's all uh, a gift from you. It's all come through your hands to us. Even the breath uh, that we use to sing to you this morning uh, is yours. It's owned by you, governed by you. And so we thank you this morning for giving us even the oxygen to breathe and to be here this morning. So I pray now that you would help us to worship you. Uh, With that mindset, help us to worship you knowing uh, that you are the creator and sustainer, the preserver of all things. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Well, first things first, so I cannot be stumbling over this giant box here underneath the pulpit. Let me show you this. Check that out. What in the world is that? Well, there were about 20 of us yesterday who went to a men's event here in town called Iron Sharpens Iron. And unbeknownst to us, Bethel was uh, awarded this trophy for having an ongoing, vibrant men's ministry. Yeah, okay. Is that all right? All right, that's great. And so they they hauled us all up in front of everyone and gave us this trophy and took our picture. And so I don't don't know where we're going to put it. It's a pretty hefty uh, paperweight. I don't know. It won't sit on my desk very well. So we'll find a place to put it. But uh, anyway, that's wonderful. Um, I just want you to know that here in a couple weeks, after we finish up the Financial Peace University that's happening on Wednesday nights, uh, we'll be starting a, a different men's class and we're also starting a women's class. We we want to make sure that at some point uh, we can bring something like this home for the women's ministry. Uh, so we'll see. So that's coming. Keep your ears open uh, for that. And in the meantime, Greta, can you put this down there? On the I'm going to trip over that and hurt myself. There you go. Yeah, it's a heavy. Good thing you work out. All right. <laughs> a couple other announcements uh, for us this morning. For those of you that have children uh, here at Bethel... Uh, ages 4 to 25, we want to make sure that we're praying for your kids. And so, But we need to know who they are and if you want that. So back there on the uh, table in the foyer is a place for you to fill out some information for your child. A uh, name, what school they're in, what grade they're in, so on and so forth. Um, if you are watching online, you can text that in or even you can do that as well. Text that in to Scott and Jeannie Kaufman. After they gather all those names here in the next week or two, then we will ask you to pick up a name to pray for a student. So right now we're just collecting the names. In a couple of weeks, we'll get those assigned out so that you can be praying uh, for students, uh, for young adults over this next year as they go to school or start a, a career. Okay, So that's out there in the foyer this morning. The other thing that I want to tell you about is a prayer event happening this Saturday from 7 a.m. to 7 p.m. For those of you that um, are acquainted with Franklin Graham, uh, Samaritan's, ministry, uh, Samaritan's Purse, um, they are doing a prayer march this Saturday in Washington, D.C., We are doing our own prayer event to somewhat correspond with what they're doing there. And so from 7 a.m. to 7 p.m., there will be somebody here on our church property um, that can help you if you just want to come and pray. At noon, when Franklin Graham starts his march down the Washington Mall... Uh, We're going to do our own little march here, just kind of around our property. Uh, And we're going to pray, as the Bible commands us to, for those in high positions, uh, for those in government uh, places, uh, that they would rule in godly ways, that they would govern uh, in the wisdom of God. And so if you want to be part, you can come and go as you want, anytime during the day. If you want to be part of that uh, walking march, uh, that's at noon bring an umbrella. It might be kind of uh, hot out there uh, as you move around, but I hope you'll come and take advantage of that. I'm going to ask Dan and Tracy and Quentin and Christy to come up here and join me this morning. Uh, We have a couple new parents. Uh, Well, they're not new parents. They have a new child, uh, experienced uh, parents. Uh, But we are going to do this morning what we call a baby or parent dedication. And we normally call this baby dedication. I've said before, I'll kind of reiterate it. It's really a parent dedication. They're they're dedicating themselves to do something for this child that they have in their arms, okay? And here's what they are dedicating themselves to. This comes out of Deuteronomy chapter six. It says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. Here we go. Verse 7. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit down in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. One of the privileges that we have as parents is that God has given us children, and it's now our responsibility to raise them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. And of all Sundays, this is the Sunday we're going to study that verse, which is kind of perfect. Uh, But the discipline and instruction of the Lord. And part of that is as these little guys, and we have two boys here today, as these little guys grow up, we are using every opportunity we can to point them to the gospel. So we're talking about our creative God when we see a a rainbow, when we go by the stream. Uh, We're talking to them about salvation, what that means, how we grew up as sinners and what Christ has done for us. All these things, we're talking to our children about them all the time in the hopes that one day they will respond in faith. Uh, to the gospel of Jesus Christ and become believers as well. So that's what these parents are dedicating themselves to. And then in a moment, we are going to dedicate ourselves to helping them the best that they that we can to raise these little boys as they come through our Sunday school classes, as they come on Wednesday night, all the times that we interact with them, uh, we're committing to that as well. So I'm gonna ask them uh, a couple questions uh, um, and then I am going to ask you uh, to affirm your help as well. So, by coming forward before God and His people, uh, do you hereby declare your desire to dedicate yourselves and your child to the Lord? And so that your child may walk in the abundant life that Christ offers, do you vow by God's help and in partnership with the church to provide your child a Christian home of love and peace? to raise him in the truth of our Lord's instruction and discipline, and to encourage him to one day trust Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. I don't have the exact wording in front of me, but if you are willing to dedicate yourselves to helping them accomplish that goal, would you stand with me just now? Wonderful. All right, you can be seated. So, this is your team, right? These are the ones that are going to help you do this. So I'm going to ask each of these families to pray uh, for their son, uh, and then I'm going to close uh, with a concluding prayer this morning. So Dan and Tracy LeClaire are bringing Stephen Cole. So you guys can come right on up here. There you go. I'll let you guys pray, and then I'll, I'll finish.
2: Lord, thank you so much for uh, the blessing that Stephen is, the addition he is to our family. Uh, I pray that uh, you would give us wisdom to raise him and the others right. I pray that you continue to bring people into his life uh, that will help him on his walk. Uh, I thank you for all the people here that stood up uh, to support us today. Uh, it's in Jesus' name. Amen.
1: And Quentin and Christy Nisley are bringing Griffin Samuel.
2: God, you're an awesome God. We just thank you for all you do um, for us. Thank you for this new young life that you brought in um, to our home. Um, he is so amazing. We just are so in awe of you for for what you've um, done in his life. And we just ask that you continue to be with us as parents. Um, so we raise him, that he would just uh, learn know you and love you God and just uh ask that when the time comes that his heart would just that you just open his heart to receive you as his uh personal savior God and that he would just grow in you and um just just ask that you just uh make him a man of God and that uh, you you have something special for his life and just ask that you would continue to um Show him, show us what that is. We love you, God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
1: Now, I want to pray for them, but if you will, why don't you go ahead and stand with me again, and then you just remain standing, and we'll sing again after I'm done praying uh, for these two families. God, what a joy to get to know Dan and Tracy and Quentin and Christy, and I've watched how they've already begun to raise other children in their family and how they are dedicated and committed to pointing their children toward Jesus Christ none of us are perfect parents I'm not and I know that they're not and there there are ways that we're still growing and changing um, but I'm thankful that they're willing to stand here today and say yeah that's what we want to do for this child of ours so I pray that you would raise these two young boys to become wonderful uh, young men of God and I pray that you would save them at a very young age that from little up they would know you and they would follow you and they would worship you and they they would want everything that you would want for their lives and i pray that you would use them in amazing ways uh, to make an impact on your world i love you and i love them and i pray you'll continue to work in their lives in jesus name i pray amen say real
3: quick
1: Like, Sorry, guys. Um, In both of our families, I think
3: Christy and Quentin would
2: agree, but in both of our families, these little guys came in and we already have older kids, and um, I just want to thank my kids, and I think that Christy and Quentin would agree
1: that they've whether they asked for it or not, (laughs) they are getting the opportunity to really help us and raise these kids. And they, my kids, I know, and I know you guys' kids, have really stepped up to the plate.
2: And so I just thank them for their dedication to helping our kids. Hey,
3: high five to Kate. (laughs) (laughs) Because she wants to be sure everyone recognizes (laughs) how much she has given to our family, and she does. Absolutely.
1: Nothing away from Sarah and Colin and Emily and Carissa. Thank you. (laughs) Wonderful. God bless you.
0: Never before.
1: Uh, We see the elders and the angels and those gathered there saying, worthy is the name uh, of the lamb that was slain, and we'll sing forever. And today we just want to begin uh, echoing that same praise as we study now over your word and we think about who you are and what you've called us to. I pray that these themes will echo and reverberate in our minds. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. It's good to be back here with you this morning. A couple weeks ago, I had the privilege of preaching down at Newtown Gospel Chapel. Uh, My family was there with me, and we had a good time there. And then, of course, last weekend, uh, Tim Brown was here. He was our missions uh, conference speaker. Him and his wife, Julie, were with us. And so uh, it's been a couple weeks, and so I'm excited this morning to jump back into our study in the book of Ephesians. And so if you want to turn there uh, will be eventually in Ephesians uh, chapter 6. Now, one of the beauties of the second half of Ephesians, as I've noted before, is its practicality. All of the Bible and all of life is driven by theology. And our theology has feet, it it has a practice, it it does something. It's not just what we believe, uh, but it's that belief that informs then how we live out uh, day by day these truths of God's word. Such is the case with Ephesians chapter 6. If you've been with us before, Uh, you'll know that I gave a summary statement or Paul rather gives a summary statement back in chapter 5 in verse 21 where he says submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Then he takes chapter 5 verse 21 and for the rest of chapter 5 and for the first nine verses of chapter 6, he fleshes out what it means to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. He first speaks to wives and he talks about what it means for wives uh, to submit to their husbands. And then he takes this passage that we're looking at this morning. and He talks to children about how children are called to submit to their parents. Uh, And then in verses five through nine, he's going to talk to those who labor, uh, those who have uh, employers. And he's going to talk about how they are called to submit to their boss, how to submit to their employer. So he's talking about submission, but you also know uh, that God never uh, speaks to the one called to submission without also talking to the one who is called to lead, the one that's been given that responsibility and that authority to lead. And so he talks to husbands about what it means for husbands to lead. He's going to talk to parents about what it means for parents to lead in this idea of their parenting. Then he's going to talk to employers. He's going to talk to the boss. Here's what it means to lead your business and and what it means to to lead your employees. So it's this cooperative thing that we see between those called to submit and those called to lead. And so uh, both of them together, loving each other, loving Christ, brings glory to God. Okay, so this morning we're going to be looking specifically at Paul's instructions when it comes to parenting. Last week, we looked at his instructions to the children. And if you'll follow along, I want to read verses 1 to 3 of Ephesians 6. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, this is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. That's what we looked at last week. That was the last time when we were in Ephesians. That's uh, Paul's instructions to the children. Those are the ones called to submit in this passage. Now he's going to turn his attention to those who are called to lead or those who are called to have authority over children. That is their parents. Verse four says, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. We're going to take our, the remainder of our time this morning, and we're going to unpack that one verse, that, that verse 4, a verse there. And I'm going to lay this out in three parts. If you're taking notes, uh, three parts. I'm going to label them fathers, flames, and faithfulness. All right? and, and we'll talk about what each one of those means, but fathers, flames, and faithfulness. All right? Let's start with the first one. Uh, and that one's pretty obvious where I'm getting that one. Uh, and that is who Paul addresses when he writes this verse. He says, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. Now, why does he address uh, fathers? Uh, because in a marriage relationship, uh, fathers are called to be the head of their family. Uh, they are called to bear the responsibility for leading their family. And in this case, leading in discipline and leading in instruction. That isn't to say that mom can't help. And in fact, mom can help. And there are times when it is only mom. Okay. There are times when a father is not present in this situation. And so moms are called to step into this role. Um, what what Paul was addressing here is what would be considered the normative the normative would be there would be a dad and a mom and children okay so in that type of a situation he's saying all right dad here's the deal you dad are responsible for bringing up your children in the instruction and discipline of the lord that is your job you can't run from it you can't shirk your duties you can't blame somebody else. You are on the line to lead your family. You can get helpers, and you have some wonderful helpers in your life. You have your wife that's there. You have teachers that can help you. You have coaches along the way. There's lots of people that can come along and help you. There are people uh, pastors, people are in the church, but you, dad, are primarily responsible for leading teaching and disciplining your children. So what does that look like practically? Well, it means you cannot come home after a hard day of work, throw yourself down in the lazy boy, grab the remote and then start grumbling about why your wife isn't doing a better job raising these kids or running around like crazy ones in your house. That's your job. That is your responsibility. Your job... I'm going to put job in quotes. Your job is not to just go to work for 50 hours a week, bring home your paycheck, lay it on the table, and then everything else fall to your wife. That is not your job. It's part of your job, but that is not all of your job. And far too often I see dads who take that as, I've done my job. I provided for my family. That's all I got to do. And Paul's coming along here and he's saying, Well, pity on you if Jesus ever visits your home because you are on the line for the discipline and instruction of your children. If decisions need to be made about how Johnny's interacting with his sisters, you better be involved. If decisions need to be made about what school Sally's going to go to and what activities she's going to be involved in, you better be involved If little junior's causing ruckus at church and all kinds of problems, you better be involved. That is your job. It's your responsibility, Dad. Don't be an absentee father even though you're physically present in your family. Be active. Be available. Enthusiastically take up that mantle of leadership. I'm hearing something up here. I don't know if you guys hear it. I hear a thing. Uh, If you could crank it down just a little bit. So the question is, what are you doing uh, with that leadership? Well, there's two things that Paul gives us here. Uh, Two things that he's going to give us. One is a negative and one is a positive. All right? You can see him there in verse 4. The negative is first, he says, do not provoke your children to anger. Do not provoke your children to anger. What's that? Well, let me tell you first what it is not, okay? That does not mean that you never cross your child or you never displease your child. David tried that in the Old Testament, and it didn't work out very well for him. Uh, let me read you what happened uh, with David's son, Adonijah. This comes out of 1 Kings chapter 1. 1 Kings chapter 1, verse 6 says this. His father, that's talking about David. His father, David, had never at any time displeased him, that's Adonijah, by asking, why have you done thus and so? He was also a very handsome man, and he was born next after after Absalom. That right there is the worst combination you can imagine a good-looking stud of a man who's never been told no in his lifetime. You put those two things together and you're bound to have problems in your family. This kid decided when he became old that he would take over the throne of David even though it wasn't his to take. And he led this revolt uh, against his father, uh, against his father's uh, kingdom. Uh, it, It didn't go well for him. Eventually, uh, he was ordered to be executed by the rightful king, which was King Solomon, who we know eventually did take over King uh, David's throne. David failed as a parent. He never crossed this son. He never reprimanded him. And so this son grew up feeling entitled, and he grew up emboldened to sin against his dad. So this verse that we're reading in Ephesians 6 in in verse 4 is not an excuse to never deal with a child because we're afraid of making him mad, okay? When he says don't provoke your child to anger, it's not saying you never make your child mad. In fact, I would argue if you have a teenager in your home, they're always mad. You can't do anything without making a teenager mad. Uh, I, I, they're always angry about something. I heard this really helpful tip once uh, from a biblical counselor, and, and it's come in handy uh, for me as I begin to parent uh, teenagers. His tip was this. Everything your teen is feeling inside will come out through the emotion of anger. They don't know how to express themselves except through anger. If she's stressed, she'll be angry. If she's worried, she'll be angry. If she's scared, she'll be angry. If she's angry, she'll be really angry. All right? It just all comes out as anger. They don't they, they don't they don't know how to give expression to what they're feeling, and so it just comes out as anger. And so as a parent, especially as a parent of a teen. Uh, we need to learn how to walk in step with the Spirit uh, in an attitude of self-control and, and not provoke that. Don't unnecessarily throw fuel in the fire. And that's where I'm getting the idea of flames. Don't, don't unnecessarily provoke a child. Do I need to cross my child sometime? Yes, of course. Uh, do I need to point out errors Uh, in their lives, uh, places of folly in their lives? Yes, of of course I need to do that. Uh, Do I sometimes need to uh, discipline my child to bring him or her back into what we call the circle of God's blessing? Uh, Yes, of course I need to do that. But catch this, uh, parents. There are times when we can unnecessarily provoke our children to anger. That's what we're called to avoid uh, in this verse four. So what might that look like? How would a parent provoke a child to anger that would be forbidden here by God? Lou Priolo, a biblical counselor, wrote this really helpful book. It's called The Heart of Anger. We have a copy of it. We might have a couple copies of it in the library. And uh, Priolo lays out, 25 examples of ways that we can provoke our children to anger 25 there's probably more that he could have thought of, but 25 i don't have time to go through all of them but let me just give you a few of them so that you can be thinking about what this uh, might look like the very first one that he puts on the list is he says a lack of marital harmony will produce anger in the life of a child if a, if a child sees mom and dad fighting, bickering, it's going to produce anger in the life of that child in a couple of different ways. One, they're going to be watching it, they're going to be seeing it, so they're going to be kind of learning it. Uh, and number two, what often happens is when mom and dad are fighting, uh, children are placed in the middle and they have to choose. Who, who am I going with? In in this fight and that produces this anger within this this real angst within within their heart So if there is marital disharmony Chances are it'll produce anger with within a, a child. I think that's probably why paul Spoke to husbands and wives right before he talked to children in this passage Because dad's husbands need to understand how to sacrificially love their wives And wives need to understand how to come under submission to that biblical love that a husband demonstrates so that they're working cooperatively before we ever get to the children. So marital disharmony can cause anger in the life of a child. Here's another one. Um, Maintaining a child-centered home. Oh, man. You know these kind. The kind where everything in the house revolves around the kid, right? Where does the kid want to go to dinner? That's where we go to dinner. Where does the kid want to go on vacation? That's where we go on vacation. When does the kid want to go to bed? That's when we go to bed. Everything in the house revolves around that child. If you are doing that and everything revolves around little Johnny, guess what? You're going to raise an angry child. You know when you're going to see that anger? When little Johnny goes to school. Or when little Johnny goes to church. Or when little Johnny gets a job because all of a sudden those worlds don't revolve around him anymore. And he gets really angry about that. And you see that start to come out as he begins bucking up against those that are in authority in those other places. This this isn't to say we never take a child's opinion into account. Of course we do. Um, But it is to say that Christ rules first in the house and the primary decision-making goes to mom and dad. And so there are times when we ask for opinions, we seek advice, but we have to say to our young child, you know what? I think the best course of action is to do this. I know that's not what you want, but we should do this. I think this is the wisest or this would please God the most. I am the authority in the family, so this is the direction that we're going to go. It's maintaining a Christ-centered home and not a child-centered home. And when you begin to do that, the child begins to learn how to come under submission. And that will help in all of life. For those of you that are in this room uh, that have ever had to hire employees, you know exactly what I'm talking about, especially if you've had to hire younger employees, teenagers or young adults, because you will very quickly be able to pick out the ones who have learned what it means to come under authority. And you don't want the kids that come out of a child-centered home probably not going to last as an employee real long with you, I'm guessing. If you want to build anger in the heart of your child, let the world revolve around him or her. Here's another one, and I think this one is somewhat self-evident, but modeling sinful anger is going to produce anger in a child. Uh, That one is pretty clear. How do I know? Well, Proverbs 22 verses 24 and 25 says this, make no friendship, With a man given to anger, nor go with a wrathful man. Why not? Lest you learn his ways and entangle yourself in a snare. Guess what? Children imitate what they see. Mom and dad, you are not held accountable for the sin of your child. But if you have an angry child... You owe it to yourself to look at your life and say, am I modeling that? Are they seeing that in me? Is that where it's coming from? Because if you are modeling sinful anger in your home, there's a, I don't know, percentage, 99% chance your child is gonna pick up on that and they're gonna do this exact same way. Turn away from that. Repent. Repent. Turn away from that that sinful anger. Let me give you just a a few more, and then you can go check out the the book if you want to get all 25. Uh, Here's another one. Uh, Not admitting when you're wrong. Oh, boy. You uh, want to elicit anger in your child? Never admit when you're wrong. That'll make a child angrier than probably anything else. You know why? Because they know you're wrong. And they see the injustice of you never admitting it and that just comes out. We are built by God with a sense of justice, a sense of right and wrong. And when we see wrong and we know it's wrong and that person refuses to admit it's wrong, there's this righteous indignation that happens there, that happens in the life of a child. But here's the really neat thing about children. I can't tell you how many times I've had to go back to one of my kids and say, you know what? I blew it back there. I was wrong. That wasn't right. I I sinned against you. I sinned against God. Will you forgive me? Never once in all of the years of me raising my kids so far have they ever denied me forgiveness. Because a child wants there to be a right relationship they want that that reconciliation there they, they long for that and when you can come along and say i was wrong i blew it they see something in you that's precious that's right and when they forgive and restore that relationship the, here's their the, the other neat thing that happens they begin to trust you more when you speak it with authority because they know that when you mess up, you'll admit it. And so they're willing to follow you even closer um, because of that willingness uh, to, uh, to admit when you're wrong. A couple others, uh, not having time to talk with a child, uh, never praising a child, failing to keep promises. Those all bring out anger in a child. Chastising him in front of others, that's, that's a big one. Uh, if you need to discipline your child, don't do that in front of everybody else. This is time for discipline, not humiliation. Take the kid in a private room. Go somewhere else and, and do the discipline. If you're pulling him by, up by his collar and woof, 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 right there in front of everybody, he'll get the point of the discipline, but it also will produce an anger because he's just now been humiliated. Uh, in in front of everyone else, abusing a child, that one's pretty clear-cut, making fun of a child, calling a child names, all of those things just fuel the flames of anger that are in a child. Fathers, mothers, do not provoke your children to anger. That's, That's the negative side. Uh, So what's the positive side? Okay, well, look what he says in the second half of that verse. He says, but bring them up, bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. I call this uh, a call to faithfulness, a call to faithfulness. As parents, we are called to one thing. Catch this, parents. We are called to one thing, faithfulness to instruct and discipline, faithfulness to, to instruct and discipline—that is important because parents have all kinds of goals when when they raise their kids. They don't always speak them, um, but every parent has goals in their minds, uh, and they're always working towards something. For some parents the goal that they have in raising their kids is I need to make sure this kid gets saved and gets baptized. That is my goal. He gets saved and he gets baptized. Well, in, in one sense, that is a worthy goal. Uh, we, we definitely want our children to be saved and baptized. Here's the problem. You can't save your child. You can't do it. You can take them to the source. You can take him to church. You can teach him. You can share the gospel with him. But ultimately, his salvation is up to God. We cannot make our child be saved. We cannot make our child's salvation our goal. Our goal is faithfulness to instruct him in the ways of the Lord. This is why when when I have a young person who signs up for baptism class back here. Um, I get all excited. There's this young person coming. But I always want to talk to the parents first. And here's what I, I ask the parents. Do you see evidence of a life changed by Christ? Do you see a desire within your son or daughter to please the Lord? Do you see... Uh, change happening in his or her life from from the way he used to be? And and if they're younger, it's not going to be perhaps a drastic change, but do you see what you would describe as evidence that God has really saved their heart? And I want to know that, and I want to talk to the parents for two reasons. Number one, I'm trying to root out any parents who have a wrong goal of saying, I just got to get this kid baptized. If I get him baptized, then I'll have accomplished parenting. Uh, I want to root that out. And secondly, I want to make sure that we're not baptizing young people who aren't even converted and now have some false hope of of their salvation. You don't even know what it means yet, but mom and dad have just kind of pushed them to go get baptized. You see? So if the parents can say, yeah, we've seen change. We, We really believe this child longs for the Lord. Fantastic. Welcome to baptism class. But if the parent says, you know, I'm not not sure maybe then we'll come along saying, you know what? Instead of moving ahead with this right now, why don't you just stay faithful to continue teaching them? Bring them to Sunday school, bring them. Let's let's come back to this later. This isn't a rush, right? We want to root out that wrong goal if the goal is just get them baptized. Other parents have other goals. Uh, some parents just want to raise successful children, uh, whatever successful looks like I- I- in their mind. Uh, for some people, uh, success means I've raised them to get a good job. Uh, for others, it means I raise them to contribute to society. Uh, I talked to one guy at the gym and he says, I'm just raising them so they don't live in my basement the whole, uh, the whole of their life. Whatever success means to you, some people, for some uh, parents, that's the goal. And and of course, we don't want our children to uh, be leeches off of us uh, their whole lives. We don't want them to be a nuisance in society. Um, But ultimately, that's, that's not my goal. My goal as a parent, according to Paul, is to be faithful, to discipline them, and to instruct them in the Lord. Some parents have the goal of getting everything right. Getting everything perfectly right. Well, can I just burst your bubble? You will not get everything right as a parent. I can promise you that. Why? Because you are flawed too. We're flawed people helping other flawed people, right? You're not going to get everything right. You're not perfect. And you sometimes still sin. And so the goal is not perfect parenting. The goal, again, is Faithfulness. Now, hear me on this, okay? I, I really want you to get this. If you can get into your mind, parent, that your goal is faithfulness, then one of the side benefits is it takes all the pressure off. It takes the pressure off. I, I don't have to have the pressure of raising a perfect child. I don't have to have the pressure of making sure my child gets baptized. I don't have to have the pressure of making sure my child is not a failure in life. All I have to do is be faithful in their instruction and discipline. I can do that. I can handle that. God will help me with that, right? I don't have to view my success or a failure by my child's choices. That's his or her choice. I have to view my success on whether or not I remain faithful to instruct and to discipline. That's going to look different as that child grows and ages. When your child is little, it's going to be mostly disciplined with a little bit of instruction. And I would say we could probably boil all of the instruction for a little kid down to one word. What is it? No, (laughs) no, you can't eat cookies for breakfast. No, you can't have every toy at Walmart. No, you can't bite your brother or sister when you're mad. No, no, and some days it's gonna feel like all you did was say no and you disciplined. Well, friend, if you were faithful to instruct and discipline, then you can lay your head down on the pillow at night that you did what God wanted you to do that day. That's what you're called to do. Some days it will feel like that's all you accomplished. At every turn of the corner, you were sitting your child down. You were taking away privileges. You were spanking him or her. Whatever form of discipline uh, you're enacting, uh, if you are remaining faithful to instruct and discipline in the Lord, you are doing what God asks of you. And here's what I think is key. The key is, he says, you are disciplining, disciplining them and instructing them in the Lord. Your goal is always to point your child's heart to Christ. You're, you're instructing them in the Lord. You're disciplining them in the Lord. We want our children to do business with the Lord. That comes through us. We have to help facilitate that. But we want our child to do discipline or, excuse me, do business with Jesus, the Lord. Let me give you an example of how this looked in our house one time. And it doesn't always go like this. uh, But on this time, it it went right. I walked into the living room. This is a, a few years back. I walked into the living room, uh, one, of the, one of the girls is crying and, and screaming, um, and it didn't take long for me to figure out uh, that one of the boys had ripped away a, a toy f- from her, uh, and in, in the act, landed a, a pretty decent blow onto her arm in the process to, to get the toy. So I took the son uh, into the bathroom. That's where we always go uh, in our house to to do discipline. Uh, we went into the bathroom, and the conversation went kind of like this. I, I try to have a conversation with them. Son, what happened? Well, I I wanted the toy, and she wouldn't give it to me. What was going through your mind? What What were you feeling when this happened? Well, I was mad at her. I I just I just wanted it for for five minutes I was gonna give it back I mean it, it, okay well what, what did you do because I want him to admit what he did what did, what did you do well, I, I guess I hit her okay why did you do that I, I, I wanted the toy I, I I just wanted to play with it for a little bit Well, son, what does the Bible call what you just did to your sister out there? Sin. That's right. The Bible calls what you just did sin. Can I tell you something about your heart, son? At that moment when you wanted that toy and you slugged your sister to get it, you were worshiping that toy your heart was made to worship and you wanted that toy so bad, you were willing to go to war with your sister in order to get it. And in your idolatry, and I use these words with my little kids, in your idolatry, you got angry. You sinned against your sister and you sinned against God. When you should be wanting to please Christ, you fought. I will never forget what my son said. Well, that one day, it brings me to tears. He said, Dad, I want to please Jesus, but I just can't do it. Everything within me, my heart just wept. Now, I, I didn't want him to sin against his sister, but my heart leapt because I could then tell him, you know what, son? You're right. You can't do it. You need somebody who can do it for you. You need Jesus. You need him to live inside of your heart and you need him to help you to live out what he's calling you to do. I think we need to ask Jesus to help you. What do you think? Yeah. Dad, I think that's what I need to do. You have a savior who not only died for you, but who is willing to live within you so that you don't have to sin anymore. That's what we want our children to see in our instruction and in our discipline. I wish I could tell you that was the last time I had to have that conversation with that son. (laughs) We've had a lot more since then. But that's where we want to go. What are we called to, dads? not to provoke our children to anger, but to be faithful to instruct them and to discipline them in the Lord, to point them to Christ. This is as though God is saying to us as parents, you lead their hearts to me. You introduce them to me. You teach them about me, and then you let me do the work that I can only do in their heart to bring them to the place of repentance and salvation. Won't you make that your goal? Why don't you stand with me? We'll ask God to help us. God, parenting is not for the faint of heart. We know that. It takes a lot of work a lot of effort, takes a lot of time, takes a lot of energy, but there is nothing more wonderful than seeing the fruit of those labors when you begin doing a work in that child's heart for your glory. God, I pray for every parent, every mother and every father who's in this room and every woman and man who will eventually become mother and father in this room that we would make it our singular goal with our children to be faithful to this calling to set our goal in our mind on instructing and disciplining in the Lord, not to pour fuel in the flames of anger in the hearts of our children, but to, con- to continually bring them back to the person of Jesus Christ so that you can do the work that you do. And whether our child grows up successful in the eyes of the world or not, uh, we, don't, uh, we don't set our, our goal on that. Uh, but help us when we fail... Uh, to lead in these kinds of ways that we as parents would be quick to repent. We'd be quick to confess to our children and to you and we would begin keeping on this path of faithfulness uh, for our children's sake. And Father, I pray uh, that as we raise our children in the Lord and as you do the work that you do, that we would see many, many godly children, godly young adults rise up take on the mantle of being men and women of God and lead in this world that desperately needs it. Father, we need your help. We need you uh, to guide us. Thank you for your salvation. Uh, Thank you for removing our sin. Thank you for giving us your righteousness. And thank you for giving us your abiding spirit who helps us now to walk in the footsteps of Jesus. I thank you for all these things in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. God bless you. You're dismissed.